The St. Louis Cardinals have made it known that pitching is their number one priority this offseason. We're going to talk about the most realistic options for the Cardinals with Josh Jacobs from Redbird Rants today on Locked on Cardinals. You are Locked on Cardinals, your daily St. Louis Cardinals podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Cardinals fans. I'm J.D. Haffern, and I'm a national radio sports anchor, born and raised in the Lou, and a lifetime Cardinals fan. And I'm your host for Locked On Cardinals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You can follow me on Twitter at J.D. Sports Radio, as well as the podcast at LO underscore Cardinals. We want to thank those of you who make Locked On Cardinals your first listen every day, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, you can also find us on YouTube these days if you're looking for the visual aspect of the show. If you're going to do it that way, that's great. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, interact with us that way. We get your feedback on uh, everything that's going on, things that we're discussing. Hit that notification button so you know when new episodes are posted. This is a show serving Cardinal Nation and giving the best fans of baseball all of the info about the birds on the bat. Today's episode brought to you by Jace Medical. Uh, empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So we're talking Cardinal baseball per usual. That's what this uh, podcast is about. And uh, we continue to kind of wait out the postseason before the team can start making moves to fix this dumpster fire that was the 2023 season. And joining me today to help sift through the garbage from 2023 and hopefully come up with some answers on how we're going to turn this around is Josh Jacobs from RedbirdRants.com. Josh, welcome in, man. Appreciate you being a part of uh, today's episode. How are you? Good. How are you, J.D.? I'm uh I'm enjoying watching the playoffs so far because yeah. we're getting to see some former Cardinals do some good things. Uh, as much as yep. that's kind of a kick in the growing sometimes. At the same time, I'm rooting for these guys to do well because it's not their fault. Oh, their fault that the the Cardinals made bad front office decisions and they had to go to other teams. Yeah, the Rangers especially right now. I mean, Dallas Garcia hitting bombs the center field. Jordan Montgomery coming up clutch. It's yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a a bittersweet moment to watch them going off for their teams, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I don't want I want them to succeed in other places, but hopefully the Cardinals are there with them next year. Absolutely. Um, so we know that the the pitching staff for the most part was a disaster. Sure, there were moments here and there. Jordan Montgomery was very good in St. Yeah. Louis, but for the most part, it didn't go well. Um, just to kind of get a recap of things that went on this season through your perspective, where do you think things really went wrong for this team that, that many picked to win the NL Central and at least make another postseason appearance. Yeah, I mean, I think coming into the season, there were a lot of people that had question marks about this rotation. Uh, I was of the opinion that I thought they could at least make it through midway through the year. Uh, Michaelis could give them innings. Montgomery could do what he needs to do. Flaherty would be good enough. And then when the deadline comes around, they make some additions to the rotation and they make their second half run that they always do. But every, pretty much everyone in the rotation failed, right? Like outside of Jordan Montgomery, Miles Michaelis had a, a, a major down year. Wainwright was among the worst in baseball. Jack Flaherty just couldn't regain his form again. You had Jake Woodford in there for a while. A little spurs of Dakota Hudson in there. I mean, it just – Stephen Matz was injured. Then when he started to get his form back, he was injured again. It just – things fell apart. And if you're kind of looking at the team as a whole, I think things started to compound from that starting rotation where you saw the bullpen being used up and 
what came into the season that people viewed as maybe not a major strength, but not an area of weakness, quickly became a weakness. The lineup was behind in every game. You could tell they're pressing at the plate. And I think if this was a team that had very low expectations, if they had an April like that, maybe they could have turned things around. But I think you could tell they put pressure on themselves and they thought they should be better than they were. And things spiraled and spiraled. And then, I mean, it just got out of control. Of the pitchers that you mentioned, a bunch of them right there that didn't have great years, who were you most disappointed by? Where they 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 came out and you're just like, wow, that was really bad. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say Wainwright because of just how bad it was. But, I mean, my expectations for him were to be the number five starter. And so I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting a lot out of him. I would have probably said Miles, or maybe my answer would be Miles Michaelis because the ERA was so bad, but he still gave you 200 innings. And assuming he's not that bad next year and he incrementally gets better, that's fine enough for your number four, number five starter. If you look around baseball, number five starters in most rotations really aren't that good. I think we like to kind of over-dramatize what that looks like, but injuries, all that kind of stuff happens. I think the average ERA of a three-starter this year was in the fours. And so... I think like Miles Michaelis works as a back end of the rotation guy. Um, but I would probably pick my pick as Steven Matz because I actually had high expectations coming to the year for him. I think he has some of the best stuff besides Jordan Montgomery coming into the rotation. And he showed it in the second half when the pressure was off and he was in the rotation again. He was really producing, but those injuries keep piling up for him. And so you would hope that next year coming in as the four or five starter, he can really produce in that role. But I think he's going to be in a competition with Zach Thompson and whoever else to even make the rotation at this point. And that's not what you want from your big free agent investment two years ago. Yeah. The guy that I, I bring up uh, and you mentioned him when you, when you first were talking about the pitchers was uh, Jake Woodford because of uh, mm-hmm. how good he looked in the spring. Remember, we were like, Oh my gosh, maybe we, we found something. Maybe Jake Woodford is finally yeah. clicking and we were going to have him be, you're number five-ish along with Wainwright. You know, maybe we found a little, and then nothing. <laughs> and then it just didn't work out, yeah. and then the injuries started. And so I, I was disappointed by that. Not mad at the guy. I was just just disappointed. Uh, on totally. the offensive side, uh, a lot of people believe that this was going to be a top offense in baseball. It was still pretty good. I mean, people are starting to look at the end-of-the-year numbers, and they're like, oh, look where they were. And I'm like, yeah, but when was the last time that they had their full team and lineup together? When was that? You know, we're talking July, maybe, you know, guys went down with injuries and stuff um, out of the hitters this year. Who did you find to be the most disappointing uh, from that side of the team? Yeah. And to piggy off your first point there uh, on t- uh, July 28th, when Brendan Donovan went down with the injury and like three days before they sold off the team. They were sixth in WRC plus in baseball, seventh in slug, seventh in on-base percentage, seventh in WOBA. Like they were a top 10 offense in every statistic. And so I think it's easy to say that they were, I think they're 15% below league average in September. So I think it's, I mean, you had the most random guys playing at the end of the year. It makes sense the offense fell off for me. um, It's weird because I think he's going to bounce back and obviously Andrews played a role, but it was Nolan Arenado. Uh, I think he finished 7% above league average at the plate this year. And, there was a lot of talk about how Goldschmidt regressed this year, but he still finished almost 30% above league average at the play. Mm-hmm. He wasn't hit the MVP caliber hitter again, but he was still a, maybe not quite an all-star, but still a really good hitter. But Nolan Arenado, especially in the second half, fell off. And I think that's concerning. I mean, back issues are a real deal. And you never mm-hmm. really – that was something last year he sat out the all-star game because he felt like he needed to rest up his back for the second half. 
He's had two down years in St. Louis, one MVP style year. So, I mean, I would bet on a guy like Nolan Arenado to be okay, but at the end of the day, it's his back. And I'm not really sure what happens with that. And so you're paying him $35 million a year to be your cleanup hitter. And he wasn't hitting like it this year. And so that's, Mm -hmm. that's my biggest disappointment by far. Yeah, uh, that that really bad April where it looked like he'd never swung a baseball bat in his life. Like he was the yeah. most lost I have ever seen him. Even his years with Colorado, uh, like he, I don't, I don't remember him ever looking that bad where he was just oh. lost. But uh, yeah, definitely down years. And you mentioned Goldschmidt. We just did an episode about that um, where we expected regression from Paul because uh, you know MVP numbers are tough to repeat. It just uh, not everybody can do that, especially when you're in your mid thirties. And uh, but when you go back and you look on it, most of the categories uh, he's like top five and most for first baseman in the entire league, not just the NL. Yeah. So it's not that he was terrible or anything. It's just he wasn't quite where you saw last year. He didn't find that happy medium. He was just a little bit yeah. further down. But it, it's hard to get mad at a guy like Paul Goldschmidt and not expect him to bounce back and Nolan Arenado just from what they've done in their years uh, previously. So um, you would expect them to come back, but you never know. You never know. know. Uh, Final question before we get into talking about pitching, what's your assessment uh, on the job that Ali Marmol did this year? Because a lot of fans uh, obviously are not happy with him. Most of the problems for Cardinal Nation say it's Ali's fault. They're all pointing fingers at him. They're pointing it at Mo. But him and his coaching staff and how they're not preparing guys and uh, they don't have enough experience with Dusty Blake to to get guys to believe in whatever it is they're preaching behind closed doors. You know, you hear people calling them uh, uh, Mosellock's puppets and you hear them calling it Mr. iPad. Uh, How much of what happened this year is really Ali's fault compared to what the roster he was given? Yeah, and I think it's weird because I don't think you can have it both ways. I don't think you can call Ollie a puppet and say that he does whatever the front office tells him and then call him a horrible manager at the same time. Like, I think you either believe in Marmol's talent as a manager or you don't. And if you think he's hamstrung by the front office, then that's the front office's deal. And Because if he really was, then he doesn't have a job if he doesn't do what they tell him to do. So aside from that, I would say this is a I – mean, it's evident in John Mosellock and the DeWitt's comments so far, this was a roster construction issue. Mm-hmm. And if John Mosellock was a second-year GM, he would be fired. But he's had – over 15 years of sustained success. So he's going to get an opportunity to prove himself. And he's putting this on himself and saying, and absolving Ollie and the staff from issues. So you could see some turnover there, but it sounds like they're actually going to be hiring to the staff and adding to the staff. They actually have one of the thinnest coaching staff in all of baseball. They cut that during the pandemic season. They didn't rebuild it like other organizations did. Now, do I think Ollie did a good job this year? No, but he also led the team to the NL or the wildcard series last year. They were, Honestly, should have won game one of that. Who knows what happens if you beat the Phillies in game one? Maybe they're the team that makes a run. So I I think you give Ollie another chance, but he's on a short leash. And if April starts off really slow, I would not be surprised to see changes there. But the front office believes in him. There's a belief that he's lost the clubhouse because of how some things have been handled. But from internal within the locker room, people don't feel that way at all. People really like Marmol. They back him. So, again, I don't think you can absolve him from the issues, and he's taking accountability on things. And I mm-hmm. even said in the end-of-the-year conference, like, you should be calling for my job. And I, I love that about him. He's not he's not deflecting the blame, um, but it's going to be put up or shut up for everyone in the organization next year. And I'm excited that there's that kind of pressure on them because most years they think they need to make incremental change, and I think that's why you see that. 
they understand this has to be an overhaul. And if you come into spring training, the roster is not overhauled, that's a failure. If you come into April and the team's not winning, that's a failure. I couldn't agree more. Uh, that's one thing that I brought up is I love the the new attitude since the season has ended where like this cannot happen again. This this will yeah. not stand like it. It has to be turned around. We can't be going through this stuff again. So uh, that leads us to what do we do to fix the team? And, uh, you know, we're going to talk pitching mostly here because you just put out uh, an article about the top 10 realistic pitchers the Cardinals should target. <laughs> we're going to talk about that next on Locked on Cardinals. Modern medical care and treatment are important, but our global supply chains are fragile. Things like pandemics, uh, natural disasters, uh, foreign travel, that could actually cut you off from the treatment that you need. In situations like that, Jace Medical is your solution. All you guys need to do is fill out their online form, and one of Jace Medical's board-certified physicians will review it, and then they'll decide whether or not medications are safe and appropriate for your particular situation. If they are, if you're approved, Jace will then send those prescriptions to one of their partner pharmacies where your order will be filled and mailed directly to your home. You don't even have to go to wherever it is that you get your medicine. To, to You don't even have to leave the house. It's coming to you. And you can also send your physician, and this is a cool thing that they do, you can send them a message for answers to your particular treatment anytime. Like, well, you know, not it's not always eight eight in the morning to five o'clock at night when things pop up, things happen late. Like uh, situations arise late in the night and you're like, oh my gosh, I need answers. Jace will be there for you. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. And that's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. You could save more than 360 bucks by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using our code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Mm-hmm. Thank you again for making Locked on Cardinals your first listen every day. Feedback on the YouTube page as well as on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days. That's always welcome and encouraged. Again, we're joined by Josh Jacobs from RedbirdRants.com as well as the Newt News Podcast. Tell me about the Newt News Podcast, Josh. Yeah, I've actually appeared on their podcast many of times. And I started a podcast kind of recently, but I mean, you know this. It's a lot of work and a lot of stuff goes into it. I'm not on the technical end of things, but... Andrew and Sandy over there have been putting out really good content since the World Baseball Classic. They kind of blew up in Japan, and hence the Newt News podcast. And so I've joined them kind of permanently now to give my takes and to do my writing and my analysis. But I don't have to be the one on the back end doing the reels and TikToks and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. So I'm not as good at that. But it's fun. And they, and they just they love Cardinal baseball, but they're also really plugged in as well. So it's been a good time. Nice, nice. All right, well, let's uh, let's talk pitching, my friend. Uh, the number yeah. one priority, according to John Mozeliak, will be pitching. He brought up uh, the three starters thing uh, for this this off season in, in an interview, and uh, I mean, I, I have a little bit of a problem with that. I wish he hadn't hmm. said three. I wish he had just said, you know, we're gonna go get some starters and stuff. That's the idea. Because now people, you know how expectations are with Cardinals fans is that now they expect three legit starters to be on this roster by next year. And they want all three of them to be better than Miles Michaelis and better than Steven Matz. They don't want the low hanging fruit or any reclamation projects, but they want three bona fide starting pitchers for 2024. And you did a write-up at redbirdranch.com ranking the Cardinals 10 most realistic starting pitching fits for this off season. Uh, so 
Just spoiler alert, there's no Shohei Otani on there, okay? everybody. First off, he ain't pitching next year anyway, but he's not on the list because it's not a realistic thing. But I wanted to go through this with you and uh, get your reasoning on why you chose these particular players. So uh, number 10 in the rankings, you said making a trade with the Seattle Mariners, which is obviously something that's been talked about since before the trade deadline this year. So uh, of the staff in Seattle, which ones do you think they should go after? Logan Gilbert, obviously a name that's been brought up multiple times. Yeah, and I would say with all the names on this list, these have been sourced from the Cardinals organization of people they're they're interested in. This so in past off seasons, you talk about Trey Turner, you talk about the, any of the shortstop market. This was the media saying they should be interested in these players. This is the Cardinals naming who they're looking at, and mm-hmm. so uh, these are not just. Josh thinks they should go after this person. This is John Mosaic shopping list right now. Um, when I look at the Seattle Mariners, um, I think it makes a lot of sense that a deal would happen. So you would think that it would be higher on the list, but the cost that it will take to acquire a Logan Gilbert just seems too far or too high up for the Cardinals to pay. Uh, you're talking Lars Newbar and more, or you're talking Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman to pull off a Logan Gilbert type trade. And unless the Mariners asking price comes down, I just don't see the teams coming together on something like that. Now there is like a Bryce Miller or Brian Wu who are rookies this past year and have a lot of high upside, but I just don't think the Cardinals need to go after a guy with and pay extra for five to six years of control on a guy and kind of hope they become the starter. They need them to be, they need to be going after guys with at max three years control. So they don't have to overpay and then get guys that are already proven talents. So that's kind of why I had them lower on the list. I think they make a lot of sense as trade partners, but I think in practice, it's just neither side's going to want to come to an agreement on a deal. Hey, I agree with you. I feel like uh, it's a little rich if, uh, if that's what they're going to be asking for to get somebody like a Logan Gilbert, who's a good pitcher. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks he's an ace, but again, he's young, 26, so who knows yep. what the future will hold. But who he is right now I don't think it's worth a Brendan and a a Gorman. You know, I don't think both of them. I think that's a little much. Um, Moving on to number nine, somebody who is a proven talent. has already got a Cy Young under his belt. Might have another one this year in the National League. That's Blake Snell, who is a uh, free agent to be coming out of San Diego. Yeah, Blake Snell, obviously, he's probably going to set the market. Um, Besides maybe Yamamoto, I would guess that Snell's going to have the highest contract. Uh, he's coming off of he should be winning the Cy Young this year. He was incredible in the second half, a historic second half. But I think this personally, I just have a lot of concerns about Blake Snell. Um, besides this year in 2019 or 2018 when he won his other Cy Young, he's been a good but not great pitcher. He doesn't get deep into ball games. He led the league in walks this year and is consistently mm-hmm. walking batters left and right. Obviously, he has the strikeout stuff. But if that starts to wane a little bit, what are those walks going to start doing? I just – and he's going to give him more home run balls. I just think there's a lot of concern there. So I, I know the Cardinals are interested. They've talked to – Derek Gould has sourced this as well, that they're going to be talking to Blake Snell, and they're going to be figuring out what that market looks like. But I just – I don't see them being the highest bidder on him, and I think they're going to prioritize other people over him. And what do you think a uh, contract for somebody like a Blake Snell – like how long do you think he's going to get – like uh, the length of his contract. We know it's going to be an expensive one. <laughs> That's yeah. obvious. How many years do you think a guy like Blake Snell gets? You know, I'm my guess would be in the five, six, seven year range. Uh, you're probably looking at, because that's kind of what Carlos Rodon got, but I think he gets way more in AAB. Um, he could be over 30 million. Um, I would, I would guess probably if he's getting that long of a deal, it's a little bit under it's above 25 though. 
So you're looking at 200 plus million dollars for a left-hand starter that again, when he's at his best, no one can stop him. But again, how often he's that good has just not been there much in his career. He doesn't get deep into ball games. And I just worry about that long-term. I think the Cardinals will have those same concerns. If he was by far the best starter on the market and there just wasn't really any other options, I think he would be even more realistic because they're just out of options. But I think there's enough other names that they can cycle through that I think if it works out, Snell is an option, but I just I don't see them prioritizing him. Uh, and at number eight, you had uh, another trade candidate, and that would be with the uh, Miami Marlins, who have a, a plethora of young pitching. And we know that their manager, Skip Schumacher, very familiar with what the Cardinals have on the offensive side. Uh, who do you think they would target uh, on the Miami roster? Yeah, it's tricky now, especially with Sandy Alcantara being got, done for the 2024 season already. Um, every team that already has pitching needs more pitching. And so it's kind of hard for teams to figure out what, like that's why a Logan Gilbert costs so much because when you have that young pitching, you're not going to give it up for Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. Like you're, you're going to get the best bats available if you're going to do something like that. So I think for Miami, maybe that's like a Braxton Garrett, um, a Trevor Rogers type. I just really doubt they give up on Jesus Lozardo or Edward Cabrera. And if they do, again, that's start with Nolan Gorman and add more pieces to it. The Miami's going to want a big bat for their lineup. Um, I mean, you look at Pablo Lopez last year, they got the hitting champ, Luis Arise, who was an mm-hmm. all-star this year. But And Pablo Lopez had his own concerns. Like, I was kind of yeah. out on him last offseason. Clearly, I was wrong, but the price point would have been <laughs> Newbar Gorman. So did you want to do it? I don't know. Um, so I think, again, it's more of the pitchers they could target would be that, like, third starter for their rotation. Um, so maybe there's a fit there. But I think, again, they're going to be prioritizing. And I know people don't want to believe it, and they have to – they have to show it first, but I really do believe they're prioritizing the one and two starters and they're going to figure out the rest from there. Um, and I just think that makes Miami less realistic because they don't really have a guy who fits that bill that should be available. Uh, and at number seven, uh, another trade for the Chicago White Sox, Dylan Cease, who is somebody that everybody loves, even though he wasn't that great this year. Uh, he's got the strikeout stuff, swing and miss stuff, which uh, the Cardinals are looking for, but uh, this was a very much a down year and it wasn't, I'm not talking wins and losses because Chicago wasn't very good. I'm talking about his numbers overall, not that great. Yeah, there's concern there, uh, which is part of the reason to put him low. And again, I think the White Sox are going to either way, rightfully ask for a lot in return. They're going into a rebuild. I do think it'll it depend on what they kind of want in return. Um, if they're looking for more of a prospect-heavy package, I actually kind of think the Cardinals might be even more interested because you do have a Thomas Agassi, you do have a Victor Scott, you do have Roby and Hence. You have a lot of really interesting names in that farm system right now. And, and even with a down year, Cease is the kind of pitcher that you would probably put Brendan Donovan on the table for. You might put Nolan Gorman on the table for. And so I do think there's a potential fit there. I just think there's still is question marks about whether or not the White Sox will sell because they are kind of that like – let's be 500 organization and let's kind of keep fans interest. And so will they go full rebuild? Who knows? Um, And I do think, again, there's just a little bit of concern about him having a down year, but his price is going to be really low. He's got two more years of control. So salary wise, they could fit him in really easily. Um, And I think if they want to go all out this off season and like truly rehaul the rotation, this could be a way that they could add three legit starters as you go after cease and you give up, strong prospects or strong major league talent to get it done and then you spend the money elsewhere um so i just think there's other clubs that are going to be interested too i think if the milwaukee brewers end up selling and you see corbin burns who it's 
becoming more and more likely will be available this offseason. Uh, Brandon Woodruff available. I think that might help Cease's price go down because you he's not clearly the best pitcher on the trade market anymore. Now you've got other names available. Um, so yeah, I just think I just really think it's there's some names at the top of this list that just seem like too perfect of fits that other names like this could happen if those don't work out, but I wouldn't bank on them. Yeah, and uh, Dylan Cease, obviously, he's got great stuff. I mean, when you would watch a game with the Chicago White Sox, it was like, wow, look at look at him. I mean, yeah. spin rates there, they're like, you're like, wow, man, this guy could really do something. And then you would see the numbers at the end of the game, and you're like, what happened over here? Yeah. Uh, and and I and, and I always wonder what the White Sox are thinking too, because uh, you remember the trade deadline? They're like, well, we don't, we're not trading him or Luis Robert, and then I'm like. You just don't really hear that very often. The Cardinals had to make the same claims about Nolan Arenado when those rumors started spinning, but yeah. I wouldn't say those two guys are, you know, at the level of a Nolan Arenado just yet. But um, I don't know. It was odd that they they were like, uh, uh-uh, <laughs> we're not moving yeah. these guys, to, and then to move them in the offseason. So I wonder what it would take to actually pull them out yeah. of Chicago. Uh, and at number six, you got one of the Japanese imports, Yuki Matsui, which is a guy that uh, I really wasn't all that familiar with, and then his name just popped up recently. Uh, with Derek Gould's article at stltoday.com. So uh, what, what do you know about this guy? Yeah, same way. We're, I mean, you hear about Shota Imanaga, or you hear about Yamamoto, you hear about these other starters coming out, and then you hear about a left-handed closer. Um, and he's, I believe he was the quickest to 200 saves in the Japanese league in the career, and youngest to get to that number in his career. He had a 1.63 ERA with 39 saves on the year. He throws in the mid to low 90s, so he's not like overpowering with his fastball, but he has a five or four or five pitch mix and gets swings and misses like no other. And so I think he's not going to be a guy that's going to command a huge contract. So if the Cardinals really want to um, overhaul their bullpen at the same time, he's a guy that they could target um, to do that. Now, I think, again, they're going to be prioritizing the starting pitching market. I think the bullpen help could come through trading away some of their uh, depth at their position player groups or signing some lower end free agents. Um, but I would keep them on the radar because the, and we'll get into this Yamamoto, the Cardinals are one of the organizations that are the most invested in the Japanese market. And it's not just the Miles Michaelis and Drew Verhagens. I see that a lot. They are plugged in there. They have some of the best scouting department in that area. And this last year, they really overhauled it in a way where they've started to build relationships with and, and hire certain scouts that are known for getting deals done in Japan. So it's hard for me to name which Japanese pitcher it would be, but I would actually be kind of surprised if they don't land someone from that market, whether it's for the mm-hmm. bullpen or for the rotation. Yeah, and, and they've had success by bringing guys over before, you know, the the final boss, KK. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Taguchi, and you've got the Lars Newbar in your pocket, too, who knows these guys pretty <laughs> darn well. So uh, maybe he's got a little bit of influence. So, uh, so we're going to knock out Josh's top five realistic targets uh, as far as pitchers go. Uh, we'll do that next here on Lockdown Cardinals. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That means you get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Like, they just give it to you. You you could place the dumbest bet on the planet. Lose that because it's a dumb bet. But you still get the $200 in bonus bets in your pocket. Kind of nice. Uh, if you've th- been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's really no better time to get in on the action. The app, very easy to use. Even I have figured it out. If you, if I can figure it out, you can figure it out. There's a wide ver- variety of uh, different ways that you can bet. The options include, obviously, spreads, uh, player props, which is always a lot of fun. Although, 
They can be infuriating at the same time when somebody falls like a couple yards short in the game. Uh, you've got over-unders and a whole lot more. Thursday night football this week, Broncos at the Chiefs. Uh, if you haven't heard, the Broncos, not great at football this year. While the defending champion Chiefs are still pretty darn good. And it sounds like Travis Kelsey uh, is going to be fine moving forward after that injury scare this weekend. Chiefs right now currently favored by 10.5 at home. I'm probably taking that. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm probably taking that because Denver has not proven that they can stop anyone on defense this year. The offense is hit or miss, and uh, betting against Kansas City, not usually a great idea. Uh, I told you guys to take them on the road in Minnesota this week, despite the spread in that one. And if you had listened to me, you would have won. Just saying. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Once again, we're talking with Josh Jacobs from RedbirdRants.com and the Newt News podcast about pitching help for next year. Uh, put out, uh, they always put great stuff out at Redbird Rants. Uh, fun. I love rankings. I, I could read them all day, all <laughs> night about everybody. And uh, obviously, pitching being such a big deal for St. Louis this year, this was a really fun article to get into. Uh, so we're up to number five on your list. It's a familiar face and name. His name is Jordan Montgomery. What? Is he actually, would he actually consider coming back to the team who did not talk about an extension with him in the spring and then traded him away? Would, would this happen? Is this realistic, Josh? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it sounds like Mo hasn't closed the door on bringing back Montgomery. There's interest on the Cardinal side, but it's unclear how much Jordan Montgomery's interested. Now, I, I really don't think there's bad blood there. He's a Seattle Boers client. They very rarely come to extensions during spring training. And if they did, it was going to be a lot more than what Miles Michaelis got. So it's not just did you sign Michaelis or Montgomery. It was do you give Montgomery a huge deal or do you sign Miles Michaelis for what he took? Um, so I think especially with the qualifying offer not being attached to Montgomery because he got traded the deadline, that makes him appealing. The Cardinals are going to have a, a top pick this year. And so their second round picks can be very valuable. Um, I don't think it's going to stop them from signing a player with a QO attached, but there's some incentive there. Um, I, I do think at the end of the day, there's probably going to be teams like the Dodgers or, uh, the Mets or whoever, the Phillies, if they lose NOLA, like there'll be a lot of teams interested in Montgomery and he'll probably get more dollars because he doesn't have the QO attached to him. So I, I think it's possible. Um, I think he's probably more of a pivot after their top two to three guys. Um, and it just kind of depends on what his market turns into. Cause he has performed in October and a lot mm -hmm. of guys, that increases their value quite a bit. He's a left-handed starter. Um, his last year body of work, he's been really good. And so uh, he, he's definitely a realistic option. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in a Cardinal uniform. Um, I don't know. What do you think, J.D.? I just think it's odd if he does come back. Like it just doesn't happen very often where somebody yeah. gets shipped and then they come right back. It has happened. Uh, Rollis Chapman pulled that maneuver. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it has happened, but I, I don't know. But I, and it, what I always say too is like, you know, the guys that they did trade away, uh, specifically a guy like Jordan and uh, Stratton, like they're having a lot of fun playing on a winning team. And, you know, Texas clearly not scared to spend more money and they got the problem with Jacob DeGrom. The money is spent already, but he's not going to be ready next year. So uh, I, I wonder if he just sticks around. I wonder if Texas makes it a priority and let some other guys walk like, you know, Heaney, uh, Martin Perez. I, I wonder if they just let them all go and then they, they keep Jordan around. So um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I enjoyed Jordan in, in a Cardinal uniform. He obviously uh, found success 
you know, uh, considering the years that he was in New York. And then nobody really knew about him. And the trade with Bader went down and everybody goes, what? Like everybody, but even on the New York side, they're like, what? That's what, yeah. what just happened. And um, it proved to be a great move by Mo and company, really. Yeah. So uh, we got to give him credit when he does do something right. <laughs> uh, moving that. up to number four on your list here, another Japanese import, uh, a name that everybody should be familiar with by now, but maybe you're not. Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the best pitcher in Japan right now. They, I believe he just got the triple crown over there in Japan. Yeah. Uh, as far as the pitching triple crown, this guy's a beast. Yeah. He is so good. I think when his name started to pop up at first and he was gaining more traction, I was a little bit skeptical because I'm like, okay, like giving a record contract to a guy scares me a little bit. But in all honesty, a lot of the Japanese guys have translated the major league level. I feel like it's less frequent that they bomb it. And he is just so good. Uh, he's just historically good. Something that people don't talk about enough, though, that I think is a little concern is they're kind of in a dead ball era in Japan right now. So a lot of their ERAs are a lot lower than usual. But either way, like this guy would have to add two and a half, three runs to his ERA to even like to fall off from being a top end starter. It's in the low ones right now. Like he's crazy good. Um, Lars Newbar was just on 101 ESPN today. He was talking about how they've been texting and talking the other day. He was telling him about the St. Louis toasted ravioli and all the things. So Newbar is already doing the recruiting. And then like we talked about earlier, the Cardinals have invested in that market and they actually have a working relationship with Yamamoto's team in Japan. So that's a pro. And then his agent is Nolan Arenado's agent. So there's a lot of like random tea leaves pulling up there and no one's gotten the vibe so far that he's looking for a big market. It probably comes down to who can offer him the best deal. And there might be some things like having a close friend in the, in the clubhouse uh, having a good relationship with the organization already that may pull the pull his uh, pull him toward an organization like St. Louis. At the end of the day, though, they're going to have to outbid the market. Um, but I think it makes sense for Yamamoto. He's twenty. He's going to be twenty six next year. Like you just don't get mm -hmm. starters that good on the market at that age. And so, if there's a time to take a risk, which it sounds like they want to this offseason, why not Yamamoto? Yeah, I, it, it, it's hard to argue with it. anything that we've seen from what he's done over there. No hitters and well, like he he's dominated. It's not like this yeah. was just a one year thing where he's just oh my gosh, look how amazing he is. That now he's done it since he's been a starter over there. So um, he would be an exciting uh, an import for sure. Uh, back to the trade market for number three, the Rays. Tyler Glass now that a guy that that I've talked about. I talked about him in this past off season. Going into the, the postseason here, I started talking about it a little bit more, and I was like, well, here's the problem for Tyler Glass now is that uh, he, he's got that big contract, $25 million, I believe it is, for next year. But the Rays, unfortunately, had a lot of injuries. They lost McClanahan. Rasmussen was hurt. So I wonder whether or not they're even in the market to move him now, despite the uh, the the size of the, the contract that they owe him, just because they're, they're kind of depleted. Because First off, when that rotation, if that's ever healthy, that is nasty in Tampa Bay. <laughs> yeah, they could dominate a postseason series. So I hope, I mean, just for Tampa Bay. I mean, their fans don't go to the games, but I still like the game. I still like the team, so I hope that they can have, be healthy at some point, put together a winning club. I there again, like you said, it's still unclear to Major League Baseball if Tyler Glass now is actually going to be available or not. But there's too many tea leaves coming together that 
I mean, it's the Rays. They move off of guys early. Um, Twenty-five million would easily be the record they paid a guy in a single year. Their next highest paid player this year is eleven million dollars. He would make up thirty-three percent of their salary next year. That's a crazy number, especially right. if they don't know if they can get more than twenty starts from him. So, in typical Rays fashion, they'll probably take that twenty-five million or however much they free up. And they'll spend it on a bunch of other starters and they'll turn a James Paxton into a Cy Young winner. And so like, I think they'll be, if there's any organization that can move off a player like last now it's the race. And from the Cardinals end, they need high end pitching. And so they have to find any way they can do it. Um, To glass now, again, because of that contract number, because he's on a one-year deal and because frankly, he's just not reliable to stay on the field the Rays are really going to see this as an opportunity to free up cash, but then also to get a little bit of value in return. So instead of it being a Brendan Donovan, maybe it's Tommy Edman or Alec Burleson. That's the centerpiece of a deal for uh, a Tyler glass. Now, like still that hurts, but it's not nearly the kind of price you'd have to pay for a Logan Gilbert. A Dylan mm-hmm. Cease. And then when he's healthy, boy, this, this guy is just insane. And JD, I, I've heard your stuff last off season about him. <laughs> I remember two off seasons ago when he was injured, I was like, why not take a flyer on this guy? He is Mm -hmm. just so good. And so something that's really interesting, the Cardinals are looking at the rotation right now is instead of viewing it as we need five rotation spots, they want to figure out how do they fill all of those starts throughout the year in aggregate. And so for them, is it more valuable to have Tyler Glass now for 20 to 25 starts and Zach Thompson fills out the other eight to 10 that he can't make? Or is it more valuable to go after a guy who has a lower ceiling? and just kind of bank that you can get those 32 starts out of him. From the Cardinals' perspective, they're open to the idea of having one or two guys in the rotation that they know probably won't make all 32 starts, but if they're there in October, they are guys you want in your rotation. And so I really like the idea of taking a risk here. And in all honesty, so he's at $25 million. If you give up a Tommy Edmond and you give up someone else, you're freeing up salary. Like Edmonds probably projected to make about 6.5 million in arbitration this year. So mm-hmm. you're like, if you're talking about the numbers there, you're really paying glass now, like 18 million to be a potential ACE starter. I think there's a lot of reasons this makes sense for the Cardinals. So when they go into the market, they can go get one or two guys and then they can go to the trade market and get someone with a high ceiling like glass now. All right, we're getting to the top two here. Two names that we are very familiar with because they've been the most rumored to be attached to something with the Cardinals in the future. In at number two, you've got Aaron Nola, free agent to be from the Phillies. Um, what do you like about Nola? And why is Philly, like say they have another successful run, I mean, they're having one right now where they're, they're, they're very close to to knocking out the Braves. Uh, they were just one bad inning here, uh, recently yeah. and it had to be up 2-0. But um, what is it about Aaron Nola that Philly would let him get away and why would it be a good fit in St. Louis? Yeah, and there's I have real questions about if they'll let him get away, especially if they go on to win a World Series this year or they think they're super close, which obviously they are. I don't know if they'll be quick to let Aaron Nola go away, but there's some real reasons. They have a lot of high-paid players on the roster. I think they have two guys that are getting paid over $30 million a year. They think they have six guys getting paid over $20 million a year, and Aaron Nola is not even one of them. He's in the $15 million a year range right now, so he's probably getting another $10 million annual value raise next year. So that just it starts to crunch the numbers a little bit, and they have Zach Wheeler Maybe they go into a different direction. Maybe they enter the trade market and go after Dylan Cease instead. Um, but again, it, this is also up to Aaron Nola. Where does he want to be? And so 
St. Louis makes a lot of sense. I would say, for, especially for these top two guys, it's not even a rumor anymore. The Cardinals are interested in these guys. It's sourced. They've they've made it known internally that they want it, these guys. It's just a matter of if they can make it happen. And so specifically Aaron Nola and the number one player on this list are guys that immediately when free agency started, the Cardinals have said they're going to go, well, internally, obviously they haven't come out and publicly said it, but it's in source that they're going to approach them saying, we think this is a good fit. Aaron Nola, do you want to be here? Uh, we'll get to the number one, but do you want to be here? Aaron Nola, obviously he's an innings eater, which would be huge for this rotation that needs guys that can just plug innings. Uh, he's had a down year, obviously, but he's again in the postseason, he's been pretty good. Um, and I think he's just a gamer. I, I would trust that he ages better than it's like Snell. So even if he doesn't have the ceiling as him, I don't think he's as reliant on his stuff to strike out guys. So he's a guy that four or five years into his contract, he should still be a viable starter and not like a Patrick Corbin type where you're like, Oh my gosh, I hope this contract ends <laughs> soon. Yeah. Um, and again, like the, for the future of this Cardinals team, Aaron Nola, if you sign him to be the ace in 2024, he shouldn't be your ace in 2027. Like they need Tink Hentz, they need Takoa Roby, they need these guys to step up. So by that time, Aaron Nola is your three or your four, and sure you're paying him, but that's the price you've kind of paid for or you've kind of made for yourself right now. So Aaron Nola makes a lot of sense as their number one. He feels like a cardinal even before the season. It was like Aaron Nola, that makes sense, and just things have continued to go in that direction. So um, I don't think his contract is going to be as big as people used to think it was going to be, which will be helpful on their end. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. It, again, like Philly could really want him, or again, so could the Dodgers, so could the Yankees, so could the Mets. It'll be interesting. All right, let's get to number one, a guy that uh, both of us think just screams Cardinal. He just seems like a guy that belongs with the birds on the bat on his chest. And that would be the Minnesota twins, Sonny Gray, also a free agent to be. Um, and I, and I, I say the same thing. I'm like, I don't know if Minnesota lets him walk, if he's going to be, you know, in a range where it's three years and 50 million, three years and 60, whatever that may be. I think, you know, Minnesota was fine with paying Carlos Correa. Yeah. Sonny Gray's been a Cy Young candidate in the American League. Uh, I know Minnesota doesn't love to spend a lot of money, but I, I wonder when considering his age and his reasonable contract demands, what they might be, and maybe he likes being in Minnesota. But uh, as far as a fit for St. Louis, uh, it just makes a lot of sense. He just seems like their kind of guy. Oh, yeah. He screams Cardinal. And I, I am a people call me and I am. I am on the Sunny Grain hype train. I am a Sunny Grain. I'm, with, I'm with you, Josh. I, JD, I <laughs> love you? people. Not, not many people. I think people are getting into it now, but there's still people get frustrated by it. If Sunny Gray is the best pitcher they get this offseason, I don't think it's like terrible, but it's probably a failure of an offseason because that means the two they got wasn't good enough, et cetera, et cetera. So this is their number one most likely, but I think they still try to get a guy better than him as well. Mm -hmm. A couple of things about Gray that makes him interesting about coming to St. Louis specifically is he's a family guy and he's already talked about wanting to retire early. Probably he doesn't want to play baseball forever and he wants to be close to home and he's from Nashville, Tennessee. And so the only two MLB cities closer are Atlanta and Cincinnati. And at the All-Star game this year, he was talking about how he wants to be closer to home. And so he was already kind of leading breadcrumbs that he's interested in kind of get even, even Minnesota, which isn't terribly far away considering MLB cities. He wants to come closer from that. Um, again, it's just there, uh, there's been enough reporting, whether it's from Derek Gould, Katie Wu, nationally, that keep linking the Cardinals and Gray, where it just feels like there's probably some interest on his end. Again, it's a short-term deal, so the Cardinals would like that. Gray would love that. 
Um, and then a couple of things I think are really interesting. So I think, J.D., you'd probably agree that Luis Castillo, Aaron Nola, Kevin Gossman, Nathan Navaldi are some of the best pitchers in baseball right now. Mm-hmm. Well, Sonny Gray has a better career ERA than those guys. He's 12th in all of baseball in career array out of guys who have pitched a thousand innings. And I just think he just goes so under the radar of what most people think of a top starter. Obviously he's going to finish second in Cy Young this year. And so people might say it's a career year he's aging, but he almost won Cy Young in Cincinnati, which is a terrible place to pitch. He's been really good throughout his career and his lows are not even that bad. So in his off years compared to Nola and Gray, he's a better pitcher. And in his best years, really just Blake Snell that gets it that are uh, sorry, between Blake Snell and Aaron Nola, Blake Snell beats him in his best years, but Gray is a much better pitcher in his bad years than uh, Blake Snell is. So you're kind of getting a consistent guy too, where mm-hmm. again, if the Cardinals are paying him, expecting him to finish second in Cy Young again, that's a mistake. But if they expect him to be a good two, that's realistic. That's the kind of pitcher he is. Um, and I mean, even he just got beat up by the Astros and it's like, okay, like a lot of people get beat up by the Astros and it's one start. He has a it body. Was one inning. It was one inning. Yeah, really. <laughs> it really was just the one inning. And so he shut out the Blue Jays lineup, which most of us think is a really good lineup. Again, probably mm-hmm. one of the big concerns with him is he doesn't eat a lot of innings. So he is probably a five and dive, six and dive type of guy. Um, but he can get into the seventh inning if you need him to. But if, again, you need a guy who can provide you quality innings like that, and so if one or two of your guys in a rotation, you don't necessarily get seven, eight innings out of, which few people do anymore, right. but you're giving up zero, one, two runs or less a start, like imagine how much momentum that builds for this kind of team next year when they have Sonny Gray on the mound. They're like, you know what? Putting up three runs is good enough today. Like mm-hmm. that, that is a great guy to have in your clubhouse. He's a gamer, that pickoff of Vlad Guerrero Jr. a second. <laughs> I just think he is a cardinal. I think fans would actually fall in love with him. I hope, and I just, am, I, I feel very confident that he ends up being their number two starter. I'll be very disappointed if he doesn't. I hope he does well somewhere else, but Sonny Gray easily is the most realistic cardinal to me. Yeah, I would be very disappointed if he doesn't stay in Minnesota. If he does, if he decides that mm. he is going to move. And the Cardinals don't get them. I, I'm going to be quite upset because I don't know yeah. where the failure is there. What's not to like about him? Um, when talking about how he goes under the radar, it, it was like one bad year with the Yankees, like tainted him. Like he was just garbage yeah. after that. And a lot of people crumble in New York. It's okay, but his years in Oakland, his years in Cincinnati, nothing but steadiness, <laughs> which is yeah. something that this team would really, really value. Like you said, uh, to know that that guy. We'll take the ball. Again, it's why I think Aaron Nola is so attractive. He doesn't really get hurt. It doesn't mean he won't at some point, but he's he, he's somebody you can rely on to be there every fifth day. Same thing with Michaelis. Michaelis had the one bad year with the elbow and the injuries we know, but other than that, he's out there every fifth day, and that's something consistency is something that uh, I feel like this Cardinal rotation really, really needs. Um, As far as bullpen stuff, we we can save that for another time. We can get into how they're going to, uh, you know, put that back together after another disappointing year. But uh, if you want to go and read everything that Josh has put uh, about this list together, if you want to read about it, you go to redbirdrants.com. And uh, there's all kinds of great articles there uh, about, everything going on with the Cardinals. And then of course uh, you can find them on the podcast, the uh, new news podcast, where they will be announcing all of the Japanese signings this year. <laughs> the the, the Cardinals are going to get them all. <laughs> <laughs> you, so, get uh, one we, you get one. 
at least one that would be really really nice it'd be nice to yeah. get get at least one of those guys but uh josh as always i appreciate you coming on here today and thank you guys for making locked on cardinals your first listen every day if you haven't already please give us a follow on twitter at lo underscore cardinals and at jd sports radio you can also follow uh josh there on twitter as well at uh josh and you got a j-a-c-o-m-l-b right that's yeah. what it is yep so follow him on twitter he's always very interactive with Cardinal fans, and uh, just like we are locked on, they, they, he's he can get into a conversation with you. It, it's fine, so hit him up on there. Please like and subscribe on YouTube. Help our channel and love for the Cardinals grow. You guys are the best fans in baseball for a reason, and I'll see you next time on Locked on Cardinals.